0: Welcome to Wells of Prayer Podcast with Haidli Lopse. Hello again. All right, tonight we continue with the subject of liturgy. I had some trouble last week deciding actually which subject to go with first, to explain the structure of the prayer book versus explaining liturgy first. And in the end I decided to go with the structure of the prayer book since I knew that's what you all would be looking at first and wondering about. But the two subjects, the structure of the prayer book and the early church definition of liturgy, actually both go very much hand in hand. So I trust that Holy Spirit will explain this and put this content into the right parts of your thinking and of your heart as you prayerfully listen to what I have to share. Before I start, I just want to pray. I'm going to pray... From the introductory prayers through Psalm 51. Since we are practicing liturgy, we might as well do it together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord bless us. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and forever and ever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. We give thanks to the gracious and merciful God, the Father of our Lord, God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. For you have protected, helped and accepted us, had compassion upon us, supported us and brought us till this hour. We also ask the Almighty God to keep us in peace this blessed day and all the days of our life. We thank you, Lord, on every occasion, in every condition and for all things. Without you, we can do nothing all envy, all temptation, all works of Satan, all schemes of the wicked, rising up of enemies, seen and unseen, cast them away from us and all your people, and from this holy place. You have given us the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. We give you glory, honor and worship, now and forever. Amen. Psalm 51 Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from blood-guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Alleluia. I also just feel to continue with the Pauline and the Declaration of Faith on page 8 in the prayer book. Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 5, from St. Paul's Epistle to the Ephesians. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to lead a life worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism declaration of faith. One is God, the Father of all. One is His Son, who became man, died and rose from the dead on the third day, and raised us up with Him. One is the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, and the same in nature, who proceeds from the Father and sanctifies the whole creation, teaching us to worship the Holy Trinity in one divinity, one nature. We praise Him and we bless Him forever. Amen. What I love about doing these prayers is they are scripture-based. The prayers and statements that Paul wrote are truth. I don't have to come up with the Bible to share this. I can take the word and pray it and declare it as is and know that whoever listens and whoever downloads this afterward will be blessed by the hearing of the word and by the faith and truth and comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit in doing so. This teaching around this type of prayer and around liturgy is something that is not mine. It's not my own thinking. I do share it in my style of language, but I want you to take this course and whatever you learn from it and whatever is a blessing to you and make it your own. Because the treasures of the early church belong to all of us. It's not one teacher's or one church's or one disciple's teaching. It belongs to all of us. Since Jesus came and ascended to heaven and he will come again. And in all of that time, God's word will never pass away. And the truths that come with that word and living by it will not pass away and will be the one thing that keeps us all going. If you're a Western Christian, like most of us are, I am, the term liturgy brings up memories or thoughts of dry, boring prayers that were recited from memory without much heart or meaning to them. It was something that you sort of just did to get it over with so that you could sit down and then tune in and out while the preacher in front was giving his message. This is sad and not at all what the early church had in mind and it doesn't match the biblical definition of liturgy either. Did you know that liturgy is actually mentioned in the Bible? It's a heavenly idea only we've strayed so far away from it that our experience has been rather well dry and earthly for lack of a better term. The structure of the prayer book and the purposes behind its use already imply that it is a type of liturgical prayer. But what is the heavenly pattern behind it? We find it in Revelation 7 verse 11. I've mentioned some of these scriptures before but I will go through them again. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God Revelation eleven sixteen and the twenty four elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God. This is a description of the worship of angels, praises and prostrations. There is more detail, specifically in Hebrews one verse fourteen. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? This verse is in reference to angels. And in the original Greek, the terms for ministering and minister are two different words with different meanings. The first word in the Greek is leturgeia, meaning for God. The second one in Greek is diakoneia, meaning for people. Leturgeia refers to the type of service the angels are offering to God in worship. And the term also means that that worship doesn't change. The words and the manner of worship stay the same. Diakonia refers to the service angels offer to people when God sends them to give a message to people. This term also means that the service changes depending on the circumstance the person they are ministering to, the type of message they are sent to give, etc. As the Our Father prayer asks for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, this explains why the early church loved to follow the angel's heavenly pattern of worship in prayer, using liturgy. The Psalms is an easy way to combine prayers and prostrations with powerful results. It's also interesting to note that in the Old Testament, before Moses, the patriarchs had learned to worship via what was passed on from the time of Abraham's encounters with God. The Hebrew word for worship in the Old Testament simply means to bow down with your forehead to the ground. In both Hebrew and Arabic, which are related languages, there is no other word for worship with any other meaning. This is interesting because obviously worship and ministry are not the same thing either. And you will not find the same Hebrew or Greek words for those either. What makes this more beautiful is because this tradition is so old and still continues today. When you use liturgical prayer, you are joining in with Christians around the world who pray the same prayers every single time you do it. You are part of a big community set apart from the world and witnessing to the world about God and heaven above I also want to share a bit about what liturgy is not it's not about education or about getting indoctrinated doctrines are hard things to love it's not about memorizing facts and phrases either instead the idea behind it the picture is that it's kind of like family dinner with God It's also not a magic recipe to get something from God. He does not need us to do this. But God wants us to share in the community of the Trinity, in the fellowship of heaven. If loving communion is at the core of the Trinity, then it is also the core of who we are. Who am I cannot be answered without asking, who are we? We cannot properly know ourselves until we properly conceive of God and our neighbor. That is a quote from a book I've read from earlier, Common Prayer, a liturgy for Ordinary Radicals. I find this quote particularly poignant to read after the past week of really crazy news headlines. And I'm sure you've seen enough of the news to have had your own full of it, looting and rioting and people getting killed unnecessarily in America. And it's happening here as well. It's depressing. And yes, racism is an issue. And we all have our own Christian personal responsibility to address that. But it goes far deeper than racism. We cannot properly know ourselves until we properly conceive of God and our neighbor. Conceiving of your neighbor, knowing who your neighbor is that is something that takes time and obviously some people won't open their doors to allow you to build a relationship with them but it's important that we start thinking of the people around us as people who need to join the heavenly family or they will be lost that can be difficult to do It's difficult to have conversations about racism and privilege and background. It's difficult to go to bed at night and think about those who are suffering violent abuse behind closed doors, more so because of lockdown. It's difficult to go to bed and think about children who are particularly vulnerable in this time, who don't have healthy families, some families are child-led and you can feel so powerless to do anything about all of those massive problems that said I want to encourage you that ministry starts at home it starts with the people who are right in front of you who are the closest to you and don't underestimate the value and the power of doing the simplest Kindest thing that's in front of you to do that you are capable of doing. Whether it's collecting clothes and things to give away to others and donate in this time, or whether it's making extra food and sharing it with others. There are so many ways that you can do something small and get something big at the same time. There are opportunities to get involved with people who have massive charity projects. In fact, just as an aside, I write articles for a homeschooling website called sahomeschoolers.org and there is a lady called Wanda Rousseau who wrote in to my client and sent a letter about what is happening in the rural community where she lives And she's a social worker, a child of God, and she won't mind my sharing her name because her project is going to become official very soon. She's in the process of getting a website. But she works with children there. They have a number of primary schools. They have a number of primary schools there who have almost a 1,000 children per school and yet in that same area they only have one single high school that is loaded beyond capacity the high school can only take 750 kids so that means the dropout rate just from grade seven to eight is enormous and part of the reason is that the next high school for those children is over a hundred kilometers away and the parents cannot afford to have those children bust over or to have them stay in a hostel moreover in that poor community many if not most of the children have fetal alcohol syndrome so they struggle to learn the school the high school does not have enough textbooks talking about numbers like a class of 57 children with seven textbooks among them the children barely have a pencil to write with and the teachers hand out summaries of the work which they often have to pick up from the floor because the children have no motivation and this social worker woman She pleads with the families of abused children. And when she absolutely has to remove them and the courts are too slow and she struggles to find placement for those children, she's the one who temporarily fosters them until she can find a safe placement. And her neighbor has taken some of the kids who finished high school, which first of all is a massive achievement for them to do, and she and her husband bused them over to a university, the closest university to them, and helped those children apply for bursaries and help them register for university. And so far that couple has managed to help 16 graduates return from university back to that community to give back. And as I read this woman's story and I spoke to her on the phone today, I was in tears because I thought to myself, here is a good story. This is good news. Here is someone who is doing something about the problem. She is living with the problem in clear sight and she's still homeschooling her own children as well. But her whole family is part of this mission and she knows full well that God has placed them there. And she has a plan, she has a vision. She trains some of the older women in that community to help counsel the abused children so that they can get restoration and become better able to learn. And she has a plan to train more women to befriend families who have no resources and then use the homeschooling network to funnel resources via those trained ladies to the families in need giving those children support and education that they sorely need and i thought to myself here's a person with a vision with a solution she's got her hands in the work and she's doing something this is the type of good news that makes my day it makes my week and while i cannot do what she is doing I can support her, I can cheer her on and I can share her story with you and encourage you with it as well. Stories like that are to me the definition of conceiving of your neighbor regardless of skin color. It's feeding the people who are in front of you, who work for you, who work with you and being God's hands in the world in whatever way he leads you to do so we got on this story talking about liturgy about prayer about sharing in the community of the Trinity in the fellowship of heaven God being a triune God is in fellowship with the Holy Spirit with Jesus and with the Father they are in fellowship all with each other and that communal fellowship is something that we are called to join not only in prayer but in life the world has its events and bands concerts national anthems and more but liturgy draws us up higher as if we would enter the door in Revelation chapter 4 with John when the angel invited him to come up here in doing so the fellowship with a cloud of witnesses becomes a much more thrilling reality The saints who have gone before are not dead. They are alive in the presence of God, doing what he gives them to do even there. And they really do cheer us on. It is another way to declare that nothing can separate us from the love of God. What a fantastic mystery. Liturgy is also not meant to be a way to hide from God and from others. It will be dry and lifeless if you do. No matter how beautiful the words of the liturgy. Fall in love with Jesus and the liturgy will make much more sense. Just give it some time. Do you see how this completely changes what your first picture of liturgy may have been? That it's not just about saying words. It's about fellowship with God and it's about joining the heavenly community and it's about praying prayers that enable you to actually live out the Word of God in your community living out the Word of God wherever you are whoever is closest to you who needs the love of God that's it I want to revise again the purpose of liturgy it connects us with other believers past and present all over the world It's a communal form of prayer. Christ also said that where two or three gather in his name, there he will be. This is why we pray to our Father, not for my daily bread, but rather our daily bread. The liturgy doesn't change. It is orderly according to the heavenly pattern. It is about entering God's story and aligning with it. It's soul food, even when you're not in the mood. Once you're a few minutes into it, or a couple of psalms into it, there is something about knowing that others also pray these prayers that can renew the fire in your heart again. I've seen and experienced this time and time again. There's a prayer group online that I normally join on a weekly basis. And we spend the first 10 minutes saying hello and just catching up with each other. And after about 10-15 minutes of that, we pray the Psalms of the 11th hour, we pray about 12 Psalms, and then we pray the statements of the blood of Jesus together, and then we do free prayers where each one offers a personal prayer, and then we say good night. And there are many times where I'm exhausted, and I'm not very much in the mood to join, but that sky button goes green, and my phone buzzes, and I answer, and I put my headphones in, and once we're on a roll with the Psalms there is something about it that charges your battery (laughs) and by the time you get to the statements of the blood of Jesus you feel you feel like somebody plugged you in and you're gonna be fine (laughs) the spiritual discipline of practicing liturgy brings transformation and growth it requires participation dialogue and action It roots us in the eternal and reminds us that our destination is our heavenly home. It refocuses our reality on God. It is never lonely to pray this way, even praying by ourselves. It helps us to focus on and live by God's divine calendar rather than the world's calendar. It helps us hear more of God's voice and less of ourselves. Have you ever had one of those prayer sessions where you have a lot on your mind and a lot on your heart and you find yourself praying all of that out and after about 20 minutes straight or however many minutes it is that you've spent talking and you've like spent yourself it suddenly occurs to you that you haven't really given God a single chance to speak in between because you can't listen and speak at the same time. And suddenly you realize, oh, you've prayed everything now, but you haven't given God a chance to say something or to answer you on the things you were praying about because your mind was just so full. Praying liturgy helps fix that because you are first directing your attention to the Word, which is living and powerful, regardless of whether you're in the mood or not. And then from there, you start praying your personal prayers. What I find a lot of the time is I will pray one of the prayers of the hours. I'll choose an hour and go with it. And by the time I'm done with that hour, all of the personal things that I had on my mind have already been covered in some of the Psalms I prayed. So I have no need to actually men- mention it again because I feel I feel like I've already said it, but I've I've covered it in the Word rather than just me talking, talking, talking. When I pray the word, all of that stuff is is dealt with and addressed in the word. And at the same time, because I'm praying scripture, God is speaking to me through those Psalms. And I will know that what I've prayed has been answered. Even if I can't see the answer clearly, there's this two-way energy happening when you pray scripture that is incredible. There's another quote I'd like to share. Truth is not simply imparted by a preacher or a teacher. It is lived together in the context of community prayer gathered around Jesus. Praying in a circle or around a table can help us to be mindful of this fact, enabling us to see each other's faces and remember that the center of our worship is in Christ, not a pulpit. Each day, all across the globe, circles of Christians gather together in basements and in living rooms, on street corners and in slums, in prisons and in palaces, holding hands and praying to the God of the universe to be with us. So let us pray and let us become the answer to our prayers. When I read this as I was putting together tonight's notes, I was so struck by it because this is exactly the position the church has been put in the pulpits are taken away. The center stage players are taken away to a large degree. And the people you are sitting around having dinner with, your family, those are the faces you are looking at. And it is your choice whether you pray with Christ at the center of that table or not. And I think many families are suddenly confronted with how seriously they take their faith on a personal level. Like, do you rely on going to church to call yourself a Christian or be a Christian? Uh, Do you pray over your food when no one's looking? Do Do you feel Christ's presence at your table when you're having a meal with your family? That's actually more important than even making a ritual out of praying over your food. It's about... Is Christ at your table? And is he the center of your table? Or are you relying on a structure or a system to provide your Christianity for you? I think you could, you could probably call it consumer Christianity then. Each of us must take responsibility for our own journey with Christ and for whatever our prayer lives look like. Or don't look like and for how we live out our faith not in the sense of arguing with each other over doctrines and details but to truly walk with Jesus and walk in his word read his word and work out your own salvation in doing so your journey with Christ may not look like your friends journey with Christ or your parents' journey with Christ, or your pastor's journey with Christ. And you know what? That's fine. It's not necessarily supposed to. The people whose journey is in Christ you have something in common with, well, thank God you can learn something from them and feel a little bit less alone when you struggle with something, and they can give you some wisdom on certain parts of the journey that look similar. Other people's journey will look wildly different to yours. Maybe even seem more radical because they are traveling the world and speaking everywhere in different countries and different groups of people. And it just seems like, wow, there's lots happening. But again, don't fall into the trap of evaluating faith from the outside, by what's happening on the outside, by what you see People are posting on Facebook and how many Facebook lives they are doing, sharing teachings or sharing Word or big spiritual-looking posts. That is not the measure. And Paul warned us in Scripture, in any case, to not go and compare ourselves with each other. It's a bad idea. So just don't. Christ is interested in your heart, not your performance. He's interested in the deepest thoughts and desires of your heart, not how many ministries you've been part of, how many prayer teams you've been part of, whether you've served as an asher at the church, or as an elder, or as a homeside leader, or whatever. God is not interested in credentials and prestige and people pleasing and all the things that to us look so spiritually elevated god is interested in in do you love him do you obey the promptings in your heart when he is pressing you to do something that doesn't seem to make much sense can you Choose to say that you trust him and believe that he is good and faithful when your life looks like it's completely falling apart and there's no money in the bank, there's no prospects, there are no clients phoning, there is nothing. Can you still say that? Can you choose to say that even with the tears streaming down your face? God is interested in, in whether you can seek Him in those moments and find Him in those moments. And that is something that no one else can do for you. No credential can provide you with that. There is no ministry course that can give that to you. There is no discipleship school or mentor or pastor who can give you that or do that for you. There is that quiet space where it's just you and the Lord where the Holy Spirit shines his light on your heart and he shows you what's there and what's not. And he does so with love. And it's a love that calls us to repentance. It's a love that draws us near to him. It's a love that Is honest. The type of honest truth you would want from a friend who really cares about you and who has the guts to say what needs to be said. That's what Holy Spirit is like. He loves you, and there is nothing you can do to fool him about where you are at spiritually. I think that's part of why I said in the previous session whatever you have come to learn about God and about the Word and about your faith, go put it on the table before the Lord and say, I give it all back. I'm going to make as if I know nothing. Make it fresh for me. Revive your Word for me in a new way and help me get excited about it again. We've all had those days where you just have not felt excited about the word or your faith for those of us who grew up in the word it's not a new experience I've had years even not just days I've had years where I felt like I've had enough of church and ministry related things to last me a good 10 years That's, that's how I felt at one stage and God did not have a fight with me. God was not super upset with me. God didn't judge me. He let me do my thing. And I needed to find my own way back to being excited. And that problem was not God's fault either in any case. (laughs) I'm not going to blame anyone or anything. People do the best they can and a big chunk of it was just well let's say it was an attitude (laughs) problem (laughs) there are parts of the christian journey where you feel like you've lost your passion you've lost your zeal you've lost interest and you're wondering where the excitement went where did that fire in your spirit go Sometimes the things that quench that zeal have absolutely nothing to do whatsoever with church or ministry experience. Sometimes it's just plain burnout and stress and a lack of just having some peace and quiet with God in the Word and being with God however you are. If that's you, if that's how you're feeling, I want to tell you, don't fall for self-condemnation. Don't beat yourself up over it. The solution is very, very simple. Just say, Jesus, here I am. I'm not happy. I'm not enjoying my faith at the moment. I'm not excited about it. I don't even know if I care enough to go back to church after lockdown. I don't, I don't feel like talking about my faith. I'm not happy with anything related to Christianity right now and give God your honest feelings, your honest emotions about it. Tell him everything that's on your mind and forgive people who have hurt you. Forgive people who have ruined ministry and church experiences for you. Work through that forgiveness, work through any bitterness, Clear all of that stuff out. Clear out everything that is a stumbling block standing between you and God. And when you've done that, ask the Holy Spirit to revive your first love for Him. Revive your love for the Word. You'll probably soon enough after that find yourself in a piece of scripture that you're very familiar with, a piece of scripture that was part of your initial journey of becoming saved, or born again, or baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will know. You, each, each one of us has our own scripture that speaks to us repeatedly at certain intervals in our lives. For some of you, it may be Psalm 23. For others, it may be Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven. For others, it may be Psalm 84 or Jeremiah 33 verse 3, or Isaiah 60 verse 1, whichever. Just get back to talking with Jesus. Whether you ever pray any of the prayers in the the book that I'm sharing or teaching about, that's not the issue. (laughs) It's a tool, and I would love for you to enjoy the benefit of using it. But if Jesus isn't in it, you're not going to find life in it if you are currently in a church or part of a church thank God for the people who are there and pray for them and thank God for what you've learned there and bless and honor those people if you're not currently a member of a church or a fellowship group of some sort people whom you pray with together regularly thank God for where you started and for what you learned for everyone who played a role in your journey and then Ask God to give you wisdom as to where to go next, because a key here that I want to share with you is that it's not about the denomination at all. It's not even about who is the lead pastor. It's about finding a spirit of life in the community where you go that matters. And sometimes that life can be found in surprising places. Look for life wherever you go. If the atmosphere is dry and there is no room for the Holy Spirit, keep looking. Because you want to go where God tells you to go and you want to go somewhere where there is room to grow in the Spirit and where Holy Spirit can move to finish off the evening I want to just share a prayer and a quote I found a quote by St John Clamicus one of the desert fathers from many many moons ago and another one yeah, both quotes are by him and it's about prayer and focusing your thoughts on your prayer His first quote is this one. Try not to talk excessively in your prayer, in case your mind is distracted by the search for words. One word from the publican sufficed to placate God and a single utterance saved the thief on the cross. Talkative prayer frequently distracts the mind and deludes it, whereas brevity makes for concentration. If it happens that, as you pray, some word evokes delight or remorse within you linger over it For at that moment, our guardian angel is praying with us. This is linked to what I said earlier of praying scripture before you pray your own praise. Otherwise, you will just talk out everything that's on your mind and not have as powerful an experience giving God a chance to speak. A second quote, make the effort to raise up or rather to enclose your mind within the words of your prayer. And if, like a child, it gets tired and falters, raise it up again. The mind, after all, is naturally unstable, but the God who can do everything can also give it firm endurance. This again supports the concept of praying the liturgy, because you are enfolding your mind with the word. You are taking your thoughts captive with the word. And when your thoughts drift away in between Psalms, you are naturally drawn back to focusing on Christ as you pray. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Lastly, I want to end tonight with the statements of the blood of Jesus. As for me this is this has become my most important piece of liturgy for me in my personal life. It's a it's a tool, it's a weapon of warfare, it's a way to declare truth to the enemy to God and to yourself and remind yourself of your identity in Christ. The blood of Jesus has redeemed me from the hand of Satan. The blood of Jesus has redeemed me from every curse. In Christ Jesus, I am free from every curse and blessed with all blessings. I shall be blessed in my place and my affairs shall be blessed. I shall be blessed at my work and the fruits of my labor shall be blessed. I shall be blessed when I come in and I shall be blessed when I go out. The Lord will cause my enemies who rise up against me to be defeated before my face. They will come at me from one direction but flee from me in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on my barns and on everything I put my hand to. And the Lord my God will bless me in the land he is giving me. The Lord will establish me as his holy people. Then all the peoples on earth will see that I am called by the name of the Lord, and they will fear me. The Lord will grant me abundant prosperity. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on my land in season, and to bless all the work of my hands. So I will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make me the head, not the tail, and I will always be at the top, never at the bottom. The blood of Jesus has sealed an eternal covenant for me. The blood of Jesus has reconciled me to and granted me peace with God the Father, all people and all creation. The blood of Jesus has granted me forgiveness of all my sins. The blood of Jesus, the Son of God, cleanses me from all sin. The blood of Jesus justifies me from all condemnation so all the accusations of the devil against me are nullified. He makes me righteous as though I have never sinned. The blood of Jesus sanctifies me and consecrates me, so I become belonging to my Lord, dedicated to Him and set apart for His ministry. The blood of Jesus cleanses my conscience from acts that lead to death so that I may serve the living God. The blood of Jesus makes me enter the most holy place to serve the holy God. The blood of Jesus grants me victory over Satan and all his principalities. The blood of Jesus is the reason for my everlasting rejoicing. I thank you, Father, for these prayers. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you, Lord, that you will help us shake off the yoke of Christian performance, of trying to pray hard enough, long enough, well enough, spiritually enough, and all related nonsense to that I pray Lord that you strengthen us in the inner man to grow up and to stop comparing ourselves with other people when we have no idea what is going on in their hearts and in their real personal lives behind closed doors I pray Lord that you give us iron strength in our spirits to stand on our own feet Pray and to not let someone else do and be and give our Christianity for us, but that we will seek you out for ourselves and that we will rediscover our own joy, our own zeal, our own fire for your word and for the plan you have for us to live it out in whatever way you have called us to do. The callings, the roads, the plans you may have given each of us may look wildly different from one person to the next, and that is fine. We each have a role to play in God's kingdom, and I pray, Lord, that we will have the courage to take it up without comparing ourselves to each other. That instead of comparing and criticizing and judging and questioning, that we will rather encourage each other Because we are all working in your vineyard. We are all working in your kingdom. And that the body of Christ will learn to support each of its members. Prepare us, Lord. And bless us with a good night's rest. Keep everyone safe till we gather again next week. In Jesus' name, Amen.